Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. It's going to be our text that we're going to look at this morning for a few minutes. And while you're turning there, let me give you the New Testament in 100 words. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the grave, to the dead. On the third day, He rose from the dead, and He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I know some of you have grown up in traditions where you quoted the Apostles' Creed every single week, and I do want us to do that at some point in this teaching series, but I'm waiting because there's a few words or phrases in there that you don't really know quite why they're there yet, and we'll talk about those in a few weeks. So I'm not asking you to say something that you don't yet fully comprehend. But what I do like is Martin Luther, way back, old Protestant reformer, he said, every day I pray three things. I pray through the Ten Commandments, I pray through the Lord's Prayer, and I pray through the Apostles' Creed. Just think about that. The Ten Commandments is something we pray through because here's some things that we do and don't do. It's how we use our hands to honor God. We pray through the Lord's Prayer because it talks about the heart of our relationship with our Father who art in heaven. And we, we pray through the Apostles' Creed because it's an opportunity. See the hands, the heart, the head. This is what we truly believe. And so last week, we spent all of our time talking about one word, Father, that it is God, our Father, who is to be the defining relationship of our entire lives, not who we're married, not who our kids are, not where we come from, not our parents, grandparents, all of that's important, but the defining relationship of our entire life is our Father who art in heaven, that we believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. So we're going to do a similar thing today because the very next statement in the creed, and again, we're not looking at the text of the creed as much as we are looking at the truths in the New Testament to which the creed directs us. And I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. I want to look at that one word for just a moment because it's my conviction or I wouldn't be talking about it today, that I don't know if we truly comprehend what that word means. Now, it's a part of our Christian lingo. It's a part of what we say. In fact, we'll talk about a verse here in just a little bit that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. But if I were to press you for a definition, could you really tell me what Lord means? Do you mind if we have fun for just a second? No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Lori and I are going to have fun. Y'all just uh, sit there. Hey, can we have fun for just a second? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I think this is going to be fun. So I ran across something called the Skeptics Dictionary. 
So it defined terms not in what we, what we say they are, but in what they really are, okay? It kind of gets down to, to here's a different way of looking at the world. So what is a coat? Well, a coat is something you wear when your mother is cold. <laughs> My kids would agree with that. They're like, put on your coat. Mom, I'm not cold. I am, so put on a coat, all right? A paperclip. I like this one for those of you who like psychology. A paperclip is a staple for people with commitment issues. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? I feel like I'm doing a little stand-up routine here today. Here we go. You'll like this if you have a sibling. A sibling is someone to whom you'll donate a kidney, but you won't lend your charger to. Okay. One more, and this is my favorite one. This hardly got any laughs in the first service, but I'm kind of the Will Ferrell school now. If somebody doesn't laugh, I'm going to double down because this is funny. An ironing board. You know what an ironing board is? It's a surfboard that gave up on its dreams and got a real job. <laughs> okay, thank you. I thought that was funny. Okay. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Good night. Okay. So we use the word Lord. What does that really mean? Here's what I think it really means. It's a name I'm willing to call Jesus if I can go to heaven when I die. That's, that's what we really mean by that. We, and I don't mean to be skeptical, but we say, I, I want to say Jesus is Lord, so when I die, I get the, the ticket out of hell and I get to go to heaven. But I want us to stop this morning and I want to think about what that word really means when we call Jesus Lord. And I can't define it any clearer than this. It's personal loyalty and total allegiance. Think about that. It's just two phrases. If we look at what Lord means within the pages of the New Testament, it means a personal loyalty and a total allegiance to who Jesus Christ is. I'm personally loyal to Him, and I have my allegiance only and solely to his leadership. That's a tall order. And by the way, if you don't feel like you totally live up to that yet, join the club because none of us are perfect, but what we should be seeing in our relationship is progress, that as we move, as we stick close to Jesus, we get closer and closer to him and letting him have lordship in any part of our life. The moment you should start worrying about that is when you don't care to make progress. And you say, I got my ticket punched and I'm okay that's when it might be proof that he is not Lord. So here's where we come to Colossians 1. The word Lord actually doesn't show up in this text that we're about to read, but it's all about lordship. In fact, Paul will use a different word that helps define lordship, and it's going to be a little confusing, but this word shows up twice, and this confirms his lordship in this life and the next. So this is Colossians 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20 to start with. In these six verses, there are 15 statements about who Jesus is. 15 statements. This is worth memorizing. This is worth praying through. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Let me stop there for just a second. I intended to read the whole thing, but let me stop. If you want to see who God is, look at Jesus. If you're searching for God, just look at Jesus. If you want to get a feel for who God is, touch Jesus. Um, a family who I know adopted, they were there in the delivery room. As soon as the birth mother gave birth, the doctor 
and the social worker invited that newborn baby to be placed against the new mother's chest and the, and the husband to be right there so that the baby from the very beginning of life, get this, would know what home smells like. We all give off, <laughs> sounds a little odd, we all give off our unique scent. Babies, when they're born, they can't hear much, they can't see very far, but they can smell. And so from the very beginning, here's what home smells like. If you're looking for God, you look at Jesus. That's who God is. If you want to get a feel for God, look at Jesus. And if you want to know what home smells like, smell. Okay. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Let me stop here again. The word I want you to notice is in verse 15. He is the firstborn over all creation. And 15, 16, 17, 18, excuse me, 17 that we read is all about Jesus being Lord of creation, and the word Paul uses for that is firstborn. So here's where we're liable to be tripped up just a little bit. We think, well, firstborn, that's, that's, a, that's about birth order, right? So was Jesus created by God first? He's a creation of God, and then God created everything that we see. Is that what that means? Because I thought Jesus was eternal, and He is. Don't get tripped up in thinking birth order when you see firstborn. That word is all about supremacy superiority, and seniority. Because in the ancient world, and still some degrees in our own world, the firstborn is the most important member of the family. Who's tempted to say amen right there? Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I'm the baby of the family. We all know the babies are perfect, right? But in the ancient world, the firstborn was the heir apparent. They would receive the family fortune. They were responsible for the family name going on. Bottom line, the firstborn was the most important person. And so what Paul is saying here, Jesus Christ is superior. He is supreme. He has seniority over all creation. In fact, Jesus' miracle where he calms the storm that's not a miracle that Jesus is trying to say, hey, trust me and I can calm your heart. That's not a bad application of that. But when Jesus calms the storm, he is saying, I have seniority and supremacy over all of creation. So what do we do with that? We worship. We worship Jesus Christ, who is firstborn, who is Lord of all creation, who is worthy of of our personal loyalty and total allegiance. But Paul's going to use that word again. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He's our leader. My favorite definition of church is a group of people who follow Jesus and the way of Jesus together. He is the beginning and, there's that word again, firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? Now, he was the first to rise from the dead. That's the resurrection. But it is saying yet again, Jesus has superiority. He has supremacy. He has seniority over the one force in the universe that we've never been able to beat. He's done it. 
And because he is firstborn not only over creation, he is also firstborn over the new creation, meaning that past, present, and future Jesus is worthy of our personal loyalty and our total allegiance. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. I rarely do this, but I want to stop right now. Just say a brief prayer, because what we're about to hear, I think, is one of the most important things we can hear. Would you just quietly pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to never use that title flippantly. That when we call you that, that we are promising to you our personal loyalty and our total allegiance. None of us are there yet. But as we investigate the next few verses, I pray that your presence be felt, that your Holy Spirit be real, and that your will be done. We all pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who we are learning to call Lord. Would you say amen with me? Amen. So, here's the firstborn over creation, over new creation. Now this gets personal. I'm going to add one paragraph, verses 21 through 23. Would you allow me to read this? And there's also another word that repeats twice in this paragraph. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he, Christ, you, now excuse me, he has reconciled, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in the faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel, two words, one word mentioned twice, that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So I'm going to talk for just a minute about that word now. Jesus is Lord over creation, the new creation, meaning he is our personal loyalty, our total allegiance. Now, what does this word gospel mean? And here's where I want to do something. I'm going to roll out a board here in just a moment. Our camera guys are going to switch to this. I hope you don't mind going low-tech, but I'm doing this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I like to, uh, more than using a computer, I like to be tactile. But also the reason I'm doing this is beginning next Sunday, at the end of our worship gatherings, as a way of responding, I'm going to invite people to go into our welcome room. Guys in the video room, if y'all could punch this up on the big screen, I would appreciate it. We'll see if they're listening or if they're already drinking coffee. Yeah, they're listening. There they are. You guys zoom in on it, okay? And let's just keep that camera right there. Another reason that I, I want to talk the way I'm about to with this board, and I don't think I've ever done this on a Sunday morning, is beginning next week, our response time, we're going to be inviting people to come into the welcome room to say, if you're here for the first time, if you have some questions spiritually. If you're ready to make a decision, join me for no more than 10 minutes in the welcome room. And in that time, I will share every week the gospel. So part of this is I want you to know what's going to be happening in that room. 
I also want you to know that as you have guests and visitors sitting around you, this is an opportunity for you to say, hey, you're new. If you want to go in the welcome room with me, I will go with you. And I'm sharing what's going to happen because we're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to ask anybody to make a decision they're not ready to make. We're just going to say, here's what we believe about the gospel. So let me set this up just a bit. I'm very verbal. I think in terms of words. I know not everyone is that way, and some people are visual. So as I talk about these words, I'm going to draw something right here. My caution in doing that is this is not a sales pitch. I've been taught so many ways of presenting the Gospels that is just a little bit pitchy, right? I don't want to do that, but I want to be verbal and I want to be visual, all right? So when I first learned to share the Gospel, I was told to lead with this question. If you were to die tonight, oh my gosh, we're having a friendly conversation and all of a sudden I'm dead, you know, kind of morbid, and you were to stand before God, oh my goodness, I thought we were just here at Starbucks having a conversation and now I'm standing before the God of the universe, and he were to ask you, well now there's a pop quiz on top of this, I mean this is getting scary, why should I let you into my heaven? Not a bad question, it's thought-provoking but it's really a lot to take in. I would prefer to ask this question. If you weren't to die tonight, how do you want to live the rest of your life? If you were not to die tonight, and chances are you will not, I'm glad about that, how do you want to live the rest of your life? So these four words that you see in front of you is really the story of the Bible in four words. And sum it up just in these four movements these four words are also your story as well, as far as you want to take it, okay? So a good story always begins at the beginning. We were created. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and, here it comes, the earth. Dang, I'm good. That's just good right there. Practiced all week. So that's the earth. God created, in fact, in, in Colossians, did I just say dang out loud in church? Colossians says he created th everything visible and invisible. He created the heavens and the earth, and not only did God do that, he created me and you. There's you. You've lost weight. <laughs> I've never seen you look better than right there, okay? So now, here's what we need to ask. If we were created on purpose, and by the way, I'm going to look you in the eye and say, you were created on purpose. You are not an accident, not a single, I don't care if your parents didn't plan on having you or not. You are not an accident. You are created on purpose for a purpose. What is that? I keep it really simple and I don't like to use church language here. We were created for life. God created us to live and to live in a relationship with Him. One early Christian statement says, we were created to enjoy God forever. That's what we're made for. So if our story ended there, that'd be pretty good, but it doesn't. By the way, I hope you know I'm sharing this with you, not only so you'll know what's happening in the welcome room, but if you want a clear way of sharing the gospel, I don't know that there's anything more simple to say. Here's just breaking it down very simply, okay? So the story continues, unfortunately, sin entered the world. And there is more empirical evidence for sin than there is any other doctrine in Christianity. 
Just go on in your newsfeed, look at your push notices. The world's a mess. We have fallen so short of what God created us for. In fact, just a moment ago, you kind of read past it, more than likely. Colossians 1.21 says, we have become alienated from God. In our minds, we have become enemies toward God. And on top of that, our actions have become evil. We have been cut off, and now our planet has become a prison. And we are cut off from the life that we were meant to experience. Well, what does that mean? If we don't have life, if we live separated from God, it's death. Okay. Now, remember the question I asked at the beginning. If you weren't to die tonight, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Your story can stop right here. In fact, for many people, their story has stopped right here. They've been created. They've been cut off. They go, well, I'll, I'll just kind of ignore that. Maybe it'll go away, or I'll kick the can down the road. I'll deal with that maybe at some point in the future. Don't allow your story to stop here because the story of the Bible doesn't. This is where Jesus comes in. And Jesus has conducted a rescue operation. Let me put a verse up here that's the second best-known verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16. Now you say, well, what's the first best-known verse? Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge lest you be judged. Everybody on the planet knows that verse. We don't know what it means, but we sure do like to quote it. So here's the second best-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has decided to rescue us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the only word, really the best word to use for this is a sacrifice. God has sacrificed Jesus on your behalf. I have a friend I've known about three years, went into his uh, place of business this last Friday, and I asked his permission to share a story that he told me not long ago. About 20 years ago, he and his daughter were walking through Kansas City. They were walking across the crosswalk. They had the right of way. A car came that was out of control. Don't know what happened to the driver. Don't know if they had a medical event or if they were intoxicated. But this car comes barreling down the road, headed straight for his daughter. My friend, in the instinct of a parent, picked up his daughter, threw her out of the way, and took the full impact of the car. Days he was in Kansas City. Weeks he was in the hospital in Tulsa. Months it took him to recuperate. But he said this, I would do it again a hundred times. He sacrificed himself. What Christ has done, he has taken our death on himself, a sacrifice, and he would have done it a hundred times. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, again, your story can stop here. You go, yeah, I know that. But here's the deal about rescue. It's available to all, but it is not automatic. Just because Christ did, in fact, die on the cross doesn't mean that in truth it's made a difference in your life. You have to choose to be in that restored relationship with God. How in the world do you do that? So here's one more verse. Romans 10, 9 and 10. 
that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. There it is. That he has my personal loyalty and my total allegiance. It's not if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Savior. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And don't think that confessing with the mouth is lip service. Because there was a day in May 1994 where I looked at a beautiful young lady in a church and said, I do. And what I was saying is, I give you the rest of my life. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we mean that from this day forward, you have my personal loyalty, my total allegiance. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can go from here to here, to being right in the middle of a restored relationship with God. This is the gospel in the easiest terms I can put it, that we were created for life, we were cut off by death, we were rescued by a sacrifice, and we were restored, I forgot to write the word in here, we are restored for relationship, a restored relationship with God. So this word that gospel that Paul uses, here's the best definition I can offer you. The gospel is the good news. This is the good news about what God has done through the cross of Christ to restore your relationship with him. Can I say that again? Thank you. I think I will. It's the good news about what God has done through the cross of Jesus Christ to restore your relationship with him. So I'll ask you one more time. If you weren't to die tonight, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Do you want to continue to live it just as you are? Or do you want to give it away to somebody who is worth calling Lord? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Would you stand with me? And let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.